Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Hollywood Podcast, covering the latest in film, TV, streaming, and social media. I'm your host, Max Geshwind. Stay tuned for today's episode. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. And I'm so honored to be joined by Tony and Grammy winning actor, singer, songwriter Gavin Creel, a legend in modern musical theater. His Broadway qu- credits include some of the most popular shows playing now, such as Hair, The Book of Mormon, Hello, Dolly, which he won his Tony for and Waitress. And for over the last year, he's been playing both The Wolf and Cinderella's Prince in the Broadway revival of Into the Woods, which was nominated for six Tonys last month, including Best Revival of a Musical, and which earned a Grammy for the cast for Best Musical Theater Album earlier this year. The production of the revival has now hit the road, and it's currently actually wrapping up its 10-city engagement here in L.A. at the Amundsen Theater until July 30th. I'll also add on a personal note that Gavin's known for playing Bill in the Eloise films, which this year celebrate their 20th anniversary and were hallmark obligatory viewing during Christmas time for me and I'm sure many other millennials and Gen Zers out there. Um, So Gavin, thanks so much for joining me today. 20 years, I didn't realize. 2003, time flies. It's, 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 It's really great to be here. I have to say, I just, when I was in San Francisco, a few weeks ago when we were doing our second to last stop on this limited engagement tour, the director of that, of those two shows, Kevin Lima and I uh-huh. had a burrito in the mission together and hadn't, hadn't seen each other in years. So it was so great to catch up and we reminisced about all things Eloise. So I appreciate, I appreciate that shout out. Wow. So coincidental. You had your own 20th anniversary reunion earlier this I year. I did. I didn't even realize I had it, but I did. It was, he's such a great man. He also directed, um, uh, Enchanted, the movie Enchanted was a oh. mash hit. So we reminisced about that and how much I love that, but also just getting to be a part of that and get to meet Julie Andrews, who was obviously the star of that with Sofia, Sofia Vasilieva, who is Eloise. So it's just a great, it's really, I'm really happy to have been a part of that project. And every Christmas, it's nice to like show up in people's um, homes, just, just bringing in the holiday cheer. I feel like it's just one of those very like deep cut under the radar films that it's not your typical like Elf or, you know, Home Alone that people talk about so mainstreamly. But, you know, Eloise at Christmas time, that's one that really hits and that, hit you know, hits those uh, nostalgic veins of ours, you know, that we really yeah, like to absolutely. tap into during that, you know, jolly time of year. A jolly time of year. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, switching gears back to what you're busy on now, which is Into the Woods, what you've busy were been busy working on for over the last year. Um, I was fortunate enough to attend opening night the other week um, here in LA at the Amundsen and you were just phenomenal. The cast was phenomenal. And I think such a special treat that audiences here in LA get by having Into the Woods come here is that we're treated to you and all the other Broadway actors from the revival. Um, Can you share or speak to the rareness and how special it is to have the cast straight from Broadway come yeah. here to LA. You know, it is a really, it is, thank you for saying that. It is a really strange phenomenon that sort of happened with Into the Woods. We were supposed to start, we started off as a concert um, at City Center for rehearse for 10 days, play for 10 days. And that was it. And then it just was such an unbelievable response that we transferred for two months on Broadway. And that had such an unbelievable response that we continued on and of course we gained and and 
let people go along the way who had uh, schedule commitments that they had to honor because they didn't think it was going to run this long. But we kept getting incredible new cast members. And I would say 99%, no, now 100%, because the one person who was on stage who came in to replace one of the schedule conflicts for the for the tour, they tell us not to call it a tour because it's basically just 10 cities that we just went pop, 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 and across the country. But um, that person has another job who had to leave and the person who originated it on Broadway is replacing him for the final two and a half weeks. So it's 100% of our closing cast on Broadway is on stage, including Krista Rodriguez, who just joined us yesterday as Cinderella for the rest of the run, who was part of that cast. You know, So it's just, it's an amazing group of people. And it is rare. I appreciate you saying that because, you know, national tours are filled with hundreds and hundreds of super talented um, performers that go across the country and give up their lives and leave their loved ones and their pets and their homes to do these really difficult jobs across the country and and bring these stories to people who can't get to New York. Um, what's unique about our show is that um, these people, I mean, I'm, I would say a lot of times you can't get this many people to to leave their homes and, you know, it's, it's a lot of times younger folk who don't have as much as many responsibilities at home. It's a lot of times like like the fact that we have Nancy Opal, who is uh, a legend in a Tony nominated for You're in Town. Um, she's been in Anything Goes. She's been in a million. She was the original company of Evita, original company of Sunday in the Park with George, that she's playing the stepmother on our on our on our tour, that David Patrick Kelly, who is a huge movie and TV star um, and theater star, left at 73 years old, left his wife and his child to come on this tour. We have Sebastian Arcellus and Stephanie Block and their daughter Vivian, who's traveling with, they took her out of school, they're homeschooling her, the sacrifices that everybody's being, is making so that we could do this together. It is really, really special. And it's not lost on me being in the show every night. Right. And, you know, here in LA, we kind of have our two main venues or go-tos for musicals. It's either Pantages or it's the Amundsen. And Pantages usually has more of those headliner musicals like the Lion Kings and the Les Mises of the world. But yeah. to have the original or the original revivals Broadway cast come to the Amundsen, which is, you know, not as um, you know, much of a it's more of an under the Hamilton. radar. Yeah, it's yeah, not a it, Hamilton, exactly. It's... It just adds to the specialness and the intimacy of that. Um, yeah. coming to the Amundsen and not necessarily like the big like Pantages that everyone knows. I have to tell you, I was lucky enough to get to play both spaces. I was in oh, the Pantages okay. for three months doing Book of Mormon on the first stop, first national tour of Book of Mormon. Um, and I had never played the Amundsen, so I feel really fortunate to have to know both spaces and really love both spaces. Yeah. Um, it's really, really great theaters you have out here. Yeah. Well, I want to switch gears and talk about coming into this show and how it might be different from any other show you've worked on over the last over 20 years that you've been on Broadway. Um, I actually spoke with Brian Darcy James earlier this year, who was promoting a film of his, and he said he played the baker in the revival um, Broadway production earlier this year um, or last year. And he said that, you know, while he's been working, he's been on the stage for decades this was a first for him because it was uh, a completely different feeling after over a year not working to you know come into his first show um post the pandemic you've been you know on broadway for over 
20 years yourself, um, I'm sure that that also made Into the Woods so unique for you and having it be your first show post-pandemic. How was that coming back to the stage and beginning a new show? It was really intense, to be honest, because it was the last show I did was March of 2020. I left Waitress in London a week early because this virus was spreading through the world and we were like, we got to go home. And I didn't get back on stage in a show until April of 2022. So it was two years. And after, you know, like you said, I, my first Broadway show was Thoroughly Modern Millie 21 years ago. And in 21 years, I've done, I've been so lucky to do eight Broadway shows. And I've been pretty much performing pretty consistently. Like, and I've had stretches of time where I've been unemployed that feel like an eternity, but, um, to not have a job or an option of a job and worse, an industry, like the entire industry was paralyzed. And to also know, to wonder, will we have one when this quote unquote ends? Cause obviously it's still going, but I, it was terrifying and it was a really dark, dark time. And when we came back to the city center rehearsal room, we were all really, I mean, I think all of us were quite nervous about like, do I remember how to do this? Am I, you know, when you're doing something so consistently, you think you don't even think about how to do it or what you think about. And I, I was very emotional and very anxious. And I remember after the first week of rehearsal, I went down like a shame spiral and I was like, oh, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. This is too much stress. And then I just had to talk to myself and said, you got nothing to lose, throw everything against the wall and just go for it. And if this is your last one, enjoy it. And something lifted in that second week of rehearsal. And I looked around at the room at, at Heather Headley and Neil Patrick Harris and Sarah Bareilles mm -hmm. and Julia Lester and Annie Golden and just this amazing group of people on and on and on. Danae Benton. And it was just remarkable to know that we held each other. You know, we, we sort of, and then on comes Patina and Philippa Sue and Brian Darcy James and then Sebastian and Montego and, and on and on of the just A-list people that I get to work with. And it sort of feels like um, healing in a lot of ways. You know, I think that's, I know that's the reason why I've stayed with it as long as I have. So I feel very, very lucky. I, keep, I call this the surprise of my, of my career. Every day I would go to work, I'd be like, what a surprise. I can't believe we're still here. I can't believe we're are still touring, you know, after all this time that the producers brilliantly and expediently were able to put this entire thing together. It was quite remarkable. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure along with that, something else that added to the specialness of it was you weren't just coming from this year plus long hiatus to any, you know, sort of musical. It was a piece of work from Sondheim. Um, and yeah. he's someone who's held in such high regard by actors such as yourself. Um, can you share how that level of prestige had an effect with you when you mm -hmm. got involved in the production? And then just an added layer, I'm sure you were in the middle of working on it, you know, immediately after following his passing too. Yes. So um, how yeah. that also had an effect on you and your work. You know what memory comes to mind is we as a cast were doing a Broadway show when a year after his passing, they had a memorial for him, a private memorial, and they invited the cast to be there. It was at the Sondheim Theater, and they did this beautiful tribute, his partner, husband, Jeff, 
and James Lapine put this beautiful afternoon together with speakers like Steven Spielberg and Lin-Manuel Miranda and John Kander and uh, Leonard Bernstein's daughter and just on and on. But but they were all friends of Steve's and all the pictures they sh no one performed. It was he's Steve said this amazing thing that they mentioned that every five years he's he was lucky enough to go to his funeral because every five years there'd be some huge Sondheim celebration in every yeah. major city across the world. So he's like, I've seen enough of those. These are the 12 songs that I want to be played at my memorial. And they were all recordings that he loved. And some of them were Ryan Darcy James singing New Words by Maury Estin and Audrey McDonald, a recording of her singing this, I think, um, Argentinian opera ballad. And it, it was just amazing to be in a Sondheim show on Broadway, be invited to celebrate the passing of, and the life of this man. And then to get to go back after that and go do the show that night. It was so very intense and special. And I wish you could have seen it in body, but I know the reaction of the audience every night is just people that come, my friends that come and see it and they come and they go, is it always like that? And my answer is, yeah, every once in a while we'll have a quiet matinee, but just because matinees tend to be a little quieter given the age of the people that are there or the, or, you know, I don't know, people are a little less drunk in the afternoon, yeah. maybe, <laughs> I don't know, but the reaction I would say every night you're like, what is going on? This is into the woods. It's not a rock concert. And yet the reaction, as you heard on opening night, that's how it is every night. And we're like, wow. And I, I spiritually think that's Steve pulling strings up there to, to like, and rejoicing. Like the, the audience is him rejoicing, like, look at my show. I mean, famously his shows never recouped or never weren't commercial successes when they first came out. Well, look at him now. I mean, because Into the Woods is done everywhere and celebrated. And the almost 40 year relationship that everybody has with the show is has everything to do with the reaction they give because they're like, I love this song. I love this show. I love this story. And to speak to your point about the pandemic at the end of the show, I think a lot of people are really emotional because this is something it wasn't just the performers. It wasn't though it was heavy on our industry. We all went through this and the giant stomped on all of us, figuratively speaking, you know, and you're sitting there and you're seeing this metaphor of this beautifully designed giant by James Ortiz, the puppet master, James Ortiz. But you sort you can't help but escape like that was that was stomping through our world everywhere for the last three years and in, in a way that we did not see coming. So I think it's very healing for a lot of people. Yeah. And you're so right. It seems that, you know, whenever Sondheim has released any one of his masterful works, you don't see that success in the short term, but it's over time where you see the legacy start to be cultivated. I mean, with mm -hmm. Into the Woods, I think many you know, people were introduced to his work through probably the popular Disney film that came out a few years ago. And, you know, what a crazy success that film was. And that probably helped spurred interest into, Absolutely. you know, doing this revival because people were introduced as a result of that film. So you're just having more and more generations of audiences now introduced to his original works from decades ago that probably weren't seen, you know, back then as a success that now yeah. are. Um, well, I'd love to know if... Um, was Sondheim aware that a revival was being um, made before his passing? Yeah, it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be sooner than it was. Obviously, I think I want to say it was maybe even the fall of 2020 or 
maybe spring of 2021 it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So yes, he did know, and he was also a part of some of the early casting, like approving people that he thought, you know, I think he was really excited that Sarah was going to be a part of it, as we all were. I wasn't yeah. going to be in it. I was so excited to get to go see her yeah. perform the role, and I wasn't disappointed. I just got to see it from about a foot away, <laughs> as opposed to in the audience. I want to switch gears and talk about your character, or characters, I should sure. say. Um, you play the wolf and Cinderella's prince. Is that typical in past Into the Woods productions for the same actor to play both? And can you discuss, especially for the wolf's character, of course, some of the makeup work involved in hmm. um, creating the wolf? Well, I have to say, this may be a little salacious to speak about, but I have to say it. Um, to answer your first question, yes. In the original, um, Robert Westenberg famously played, I think he won a Tony for it, I'm not sure, or was at least nominated. Um, but he played the wolf and the prince um, Cinderella's the wolf and the Cinderella's prince and that's that's how it's how, how I'm doing it in the show as well as the original sometimes they in some productions they'll split the parts up if they're in a community theater or high school and they want to give more opportunities to people but I'm really and I, I think in the revival I think Chris Sieber played the wolf and Rapunzel's prince I think mm -hmm. um but I I think that's true I might be making that up but I I am really glad to get to play both I just like to get to stretch you know, in two different ways within one show, um, but also to find the similarities. They're both voracious. They're both starving, one for power, one for meat, you know. Um, I just think there's a lot of fun physical things I like to play with as far as stature and vocal production and, and also just play. I love playing on stage and I'm really having a lot of fun playing with both of these characters. Um, I will say the thing I was going to say that was a bit salacious is the original costume of the wolf was extremely helpful in me understanding that I was gay <laughs> because it was very overt and it was like this weirdly hairy but like pecs and abs and like a full exposed phallus and equipment downstairs I remember thinking like oh, what is that why am I interested <laughs> you're talking about the original costume the original costume yeah 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 this I mean we the one thing that Lear DeBessonet our director and I we're very adamant about in 2023 there can be no predatory behavior towards little red it's just disgusting i just it's it's distasteful even in the 80s i think it was definitely to try to lean into the darkness of the wolf i think there are other ways that we agreed that to be dark is just to be starving and to eat flesh is disgusting and to consume human beings and you know to stay away from anything that could possibly be um perceived or or interpreted as anything more than just a, a being that is walking through the woods looking for something to eat. Um, and I'm really proud of what we came up with together. Yeah. And that was yeah a big point of controversy coming out of the film, especially with how that played out. But you obviously took such a different, more comedic um, yeah. um, path that doesn't veer into um, the controversies that people might have had in the past. Yeah. Um, I want to switch gears and talk about the prince, which is, you know, the dominant role that you play sure. in the show. Um, you know, it just provides such a great deal of comic relief. I think agony is the fan favorite that people, you know, it, many people's takeaways coming out of the show amidst all the, you know, darkness that comes in through the second half. That's something that people hold so special. Um, mm -hmm. And something else that is just so, you know, lovely to see is your chemistry with Stephanie Block. It's so obvious and so heartfelt as well as so comedic um 
especially from you know St- Stephanie's end and you know oh, she's like be, being you know, taken away by you your character yeah. um can you talk about the intimacy that you share with her on stage and what it's been like working with Stephanie an absolute dream totally a dream on stage and off stage she has been one of my new favorite discoveries in this especially in the tour we we did it for quite a long while on Broadway from September until the closing but um just having her and Seb her husband as well on tour has been such a such a beautiful thing for me to be fans of both of theirs and to get to share stage with them I don't do hardly anything with the baker um but and I don't do that much with the baker's wife either it's mostly Jason Forbach the brilliant Jason Forbach who plays Rapunzel's Prince who I play with the most but um Steph Steph is just a she she and I are both playful and wickedly um uh just like uh mischievous and we tr- we always try to keep it sort of effervescent and and keep each other guessing in the way that we pass the ball back and forth um sometimes it gets a little out of hand and we get our wrists slapped because we get the giggles and then yeah. the next thing you know the audience is all laughing with us that happened a lot with sarah and i on stage because she's one of my best friends in the world and i would just be like hi <laughs> it's you and me but steph is beautifully a completely different take on the character and she's like one of those old school mary tyler moore lucille ball like she's like a classic comedian in that way that um I really enjoy playing with and also just watching and seeing how bold and how courageous she is. It inspires me to just really go for it. And, and, and to speak to the Prince, my Prince, anyway, I just was excited about the idea of less, less, I've always thought that playing Prince Charming to a 2023 audience that doesn't exist anymore. Like we don't, we don't, we're so jaded or, or more obsessed with reality, our, our film and our television and everything is is digging into the darker side of things or a little more caustic and with social media. And I just, I'm aware of what audiences expect from stories and fairy tales and fairy tale prince and princesses is to me extremely far from where we, the majority of mainstream audiences grab their favorite kind of um, entertainment. So I have nostalgia slightly on my side. And, and when I thought about how to portray him, I wanted to go farther into that nostalgia so that you as an audience member are watching and I almost an idea of what you remember Prince Charming to be, and yet layer it with an extremely relatable, like slightly dislikable person who's just a bit of a douchebag. who's like, I, 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 I have fun playing with that aspect of him every night. And I, I think audiences do too. I think it's one of the reasons why they find Jason and I so enjoyable is that we are, we, I've always thought of my prince, what makes him real is that he believes he has to play the part of a prince to all of the paupers. So he plays everything like he's important. He's like a douche. He's like, just like, somebody in life that you meet is like hi i'm i'm an agent and it's really nice to meet you i meet i know these people who play the part of the job that they are that's how i wanted to play that's what makes him real to me and when he is forced to drop the artifice at the end of the play and cinderella like calls him out it all falls away and he's just like i don't know how to be that person i'm sorry i don't i'm I'm charming not sincere 
And that was something that Lear really wanted me to lean into in the final scene is like, drop it all. So I, to drop it all, I had, in my opinion, I had to go so much further than trying to be handsome and real. Real to me was that he played the part of the prince in that world. That is what I found my reality of who this prince is. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Like in a way, the your role parodies the idea of the Disney-esque like Prince Charming, but then over time, especially in the second act, it's sort of unmasked and we we see more layers there that he hid initially yeah. during the first half. So yeah, yeah that's so well put. Um, I don't want to spoil the show too much, although like you should know the story of Into the Woods by now. Um, <laughs> but it does get a lot more dark, a lot more wicked in the second half. I can't speak for everyone, but I think a part of, you does wish story-wise that the show ends with ever after and everything's just wrapped up in a bow, you know, by the time intermission comes. But in fact, you've just seen the first half. There's still a whole lot story to go where things, you can know, I, go downhill. But can I tell you yeah, a funny story. Of course. Jesse Tyler Ferguson, Modern Family, famous. Yeah. Came to see the show with his mother on Sunday matinee this past week. And he texted me, he's a, we've known each other for over 20 years, yeah. we came up in the theater together, and he's just a dear friend. And he texted me, well, my mother's comment at the end of Act One was, I just loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and he, I was like, do you want to break the, break the news to her now that we're not finished? Yeah. And he is, it, it was just, that is a very common for people who don't really know this show as well as you and I do. And it makes me laugh every time, even though he says, to be continued at the end of the act. Um, yeah, but I I live for the second act. The second act yes. is what it brings it home for audiences, so that you're not just watching apparent fluff. Even though the first act is rife with depth, it's so is like no. Now we're going to hit you with what it's really like. What 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 these people are really dealing with, and how everyone's put on these layers to perform all of these parts. But actually, it's here come the giant. Right. It's not the just the prince that had layers, but it's all the characters truly that had layers that begin to peel away in the second half. And mm -hmm. it really does challenge you as the viewer to still stay emotionally connected to the characters as they, you know, embark in more troubled waters. Um, so through the loss and the trauma of everything that you witness in the story as it comes to an end, there is a deeper message there. Um, can you share what the takeaway is you think that Sondheim intended for audiences to have um, as we, you know, go through that, you know, um, really dark second half and come you out know, of it. Something I've been meditating on a lot in the last couple of years, and I'm going to, I keep talking about this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get a tattoo on my left wrist. My probably my first and only tattoo is the word both. And it's something I've really, has really impacted me. I think it's really easy especially growing up in the Midwest, and I call uh, this term toxic positivity, to think that stasis in the world is being happy. And we're trying to get to happy, happy ever after. That's the only real, and, and I think that's what's might be really, people can't do it anymore. So mental health issues are bigger than ever and more painful than ever. And people are just like, look, they've reached a breaking point. And I think it's because we aren't embracing both sides of the yin and the yang, but like it's both, everything is both. It's beautiful and it's terrible. It's happily ever after and it's doomsday. And if we are constantly trying to get to a place of happy and getting everything back to happy, we're only inviting more doom. 
if we can find a balance. And I think Sondheim and Lapine with Act One and Act Two, they're meant to be done together. Unless you're doing Into the Woods Junior and you're a younger person, mm-hmm. and they don't, they just cut the second act and they augment the first act slightly. Um, I think it's important. What he wants you to leave with is the last song for all intents and purposes, besides children will listen. The last song of the play proper is no one is alone, but it's saying like giants can be right. Giants can be good. You decide what's witches can be right. Giants can be good. You decide what's right. But we, and we vilified giants and witches in life to, so to be happy, you have to be a prince and a princess and all these false narratives. And, he reminds you in the end, witches are people too, giants are people too. And everybody has wickedness in them and evil in them and everyone has goodness in them. It's finding the balance that both things can exist at the same time. And that's just something that's really come into my life really clearly. And I suppose maybe now that you asked that question and I answer it, I'm thinking, oh, maybe it's been working on me silently in this show every night, you know? Is Act One, but this, there's Act Two also, and at the end of Act Two, it's not doomsday, but it's reality. It's you gotta you gotta have a little of both. You can't just always be perfect and happy and tied up. It doesn't it doesn't work like that. I think that's what he wants us to take home. Into the Woods is one of the few um, shows. I think Chicago's another. Maybe, maybe there's others, but the orchestra is on stage. You can't say that about every musical. Both, um, of, it- those, both of those productions were originated at the City Center Encores. That's why the orchestra is on stage in, in our production and on Chicago on Broadway. Okay, so I was, it's I was, a I was. It's a tradition of City Center that you see the band. It's, it's to set the entire score forward, and I think that's what makes our production unique in that we're acknowledging this is a concert version of the show that we've staged more. So it's the full musical, but you really get to enjoy this luscious, beautiful orchestra conducted by John Bell and played by this um, five of our amazing touring orchestra, but folding in the brilliant players from the LA Phil and from different pit orchestras here in LA. So it's, it's a really great, it's great to watch them play this stunning score. Sorry, and, I interrupted you. No, no, that actually is the question. But I would also say that inadvertently, even though it probably wasn't the objective, such a great way to, you know, physically create a space for Sondheim and have, you know, his work be honored, you know, um, there front and center yeah. on stage. Lovely. That's beautiful. Um, well, yeah. my last question is yeah. something that you've been busy working on for um, a few years now. Walk on through. It's a new musical that you've written inspired by the collections of the Met. Um, it'll be premiering, I believe, this fall in New York at the MCC Theater. Um, what was the inspiration behind writing this musical, especially, you know, inspired by a museum and its historic collections? Yeah, well, the short answer is I am not a museum person. I never have been. I don't have the attention span, the education, the patience, the knowledge. I was intimidated by them. Still am a little bit, even though I just saw went to the Broad and saw the amazing Keith Haring yeah. exhibit at, at, at the Broad. It's beautiful. Um, I have a better relationship to them now because of walking through. But the short story is my friend Matt Quam, who works in the development at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, said, I want you to meet these two women, Limor Tomer and Aaron Flannery, who are part of the Met Live Arts series. It's a curatorial department that invites performers and writers and directors and cast uh, um, choreographers and all people from different performing arts backgrounds to take meetings with them. And if it's a good fit, they offer you um, uh, a membership card and they say, go explore the museum. And you come up with an idea inspired by something in this building, 
we'll help you put on a little concert wow. in in the theater. There's a 700 seat theater in the theater, in the Met. I didn't know about that because I didn't I'd never been to the Met yeah. before. And or you can do it in one of the galleries or whatever. We ended up doing it in 2021. We were supposed to do it in June of 2020, just a one night concert. And the only story I could tell was a story of a middle aged man named Gavin Creel, who was going through a bit of a midlife crisis and going through a really kind of a dark time in his life and didn't know where he belonged in this building and honestly didn't know where he belonged in the world. Even after the lucky life and the career that I've had, I was just really lost and didn't know what to do. And I wrote a piece that surround that the art sort of speaks to me on how to find myself in that building and therefore in the world. And I'm so excited to share this with the world. And we hope to have a really long and vast life of the piece that we're starting done a couple of presentations just one night, but we're doing our first ever world premiere production at MCC, Bernie Telsey, Will Cantler, Scott Galena, um, um, this amazing theater, the late Bob Lapone founded it with Will and Bernie, and they've invited us to do our premiere. We'll start performances in November and we'll extend as many times as the theater allows us and people come, but we're going to be in the Frankel space, a little black box theater starting really small. And we hope to expand it and go to Broadway with it and take it around the world. I'm really proud of it and excited about what it says about art and life and love and loneliness and how even when you're intimidated and you don't understand what you're looking at, you can find home and expression and peace and hope within art. Yeah. And that's just amazing, the fact that you've partnered with the Met and it's yeah. been performed there. That's such, so magical to hear that. And I, I can't wait you know, to see it when it comes Please this come. fall at the MCC, yeah. I will. Um, well, in the meantime, Into the Woods is performing at the Amundsen until July 30th as part of the Ten City Engagement, not a tour, Ten City Engagement, okay. um, coming to the tail end of the engagement here at the Amundsen until July 30th. But Gavin, thanks so much for taking the time, and I can't wait for Walk On Through coming this fall. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please take a moment to subscribe to The Hollywood Podcast for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Max Geshwind. Thanks for listening.